All right. You can go ahead and be opening your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. So there are lots of different ways. Oh, you already spoiled the sermon title. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's already up there. I was going to set it all up, but it's cool. That's the sermon title. There are so many different ways that we can study the Bible. There are so many different ways that we can kind of approach understanding more about, about God and the way that he has, has revealed himself to us and the things that he wants us to know. Uh, if you are a, a, a seminary student, if you've gone through stuff, you've probably taken a bunch, of, you had to take a bunch of different theology classes, and there are kind of three main ways to study theology if you do the seminary thing. Uh, the first one, and this is probably the one that they teach you most frequently, is systematic theology. Systematic theology is basically taking one subject from the Bible and trying to understand what the whole Bible teaches about that one subject. Not too different from like a topical sermon series, what we were in when we were talking about hope for the last few weeks, or what we're going to kind of talk about over the next six, eight, ten, however many weeks. We'll see. Uh, we're going to talk about a subject. We're going to talk about a specific thing. That's systematic theology. The second thing is biblical theology. That's what we tend to teach like here at CRC. The biblical theology is basically where you take passages in context and you study through them and you say, what is this section teaching about? And it could be teaching about a great many subjects like when we went through the book of Matthew, we went through all sorts of different subjects. When we went through the book of Genesis, we studied all sorts of different subjects. But all of that was kind of coming from, you know, we talked about expository preaching, preaching through the Bible and letting the Bible kind of dictate the subject. So systematic theology, more on the topical side. Biblical theology, the study of one particular book, or taking the Bible in its context and letting it determine the subject that it's teaching about. And the third way, and sometimes, and this is one of my favorite ways to study the Bible, uh, is historical theology, like the study of church history and the way that the church has understood and interpreted systematically or biblically the Bible throughout its lifetime. I love talking about church history. It's so fun because there are so many crazy characters throughout church history that you can, you can see all these wild different interactions in different ways that, that they responded to each other when different, you know, uh, people would rise up and say, no, this is what the Bible means. And they're like, no, 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 that's heresy. We're going to talk with you. Th these kinds of things. And it's so interesting to just kind of see the history of the Bible laid out. And, and I think... History is important because every time, I mean, think about it. If you've been reading uh, on Sunday nights with us, we've been reading back through the book of Acts again, and, and we get to different points where people are standing trial or people are being challenged by a large group of people or somebody's being offered the opportunity to stand up in front of a group and begin to teach and, and, and welcome people into the family of God. And how is it that they tend to frame what they speak about? through history. They said, I mean, we, we just a few weeks ago, we read Stephen's speech right before everybody, everybody killed him. And he said, let me just tell you everything, creation through Abraham, through David, through Jesus to now. And, and, he, and he was prepared to tell the whole story of the Bible, basically. The whole story of the history of Israel, the people that God had chosen 
as a way of saying, so, so this is why what you guys are doing right now is sinful because it goes against all of these things that God has already stated or God has already done. History is, is, is vital to us. I mean, you've heard that quote, those who, what is it? who failed to recognize history or doomed to repeat it, something like that. I tried to look up who said it, and there's a bunch of different opinions about who said it first. It's interesting. Our history on a statement about history is a little bit muddled. Irony. But here's the thing. With history, it, we, we, we have to learn from it because, because once, once we set it aside, the whole reason we still teach the Old Testament is so that we can learn from the lives of the people who have come before us. We can see what mistakes were made. Or, even better, we can see the ways that God has taken those people and, and changed them and done amazing things through them so that we can in turn take the things that, that they maybe have messed up or the things that they have learned along the way and, and, and apply those. Look at our own lives and say, am I repeating history yet again? Every time we get to you know, the, the Israelites in the Gospels, I tend to say, it, it's so wild to say, you guys are sitting here teaching about the importance of the Scriptures before, the prophets, the kings, all those things, and all of those people kept messing up the whole follow after God, not adding to the things that He said, and now you've got these Pharisees that are stacking all this extra rules and regulations on top of the Bible. Like, you're, you're doing the exact same things over and over and over again. You're not looking back and recognizing what has happened so that you can learn and grow from it. And I really liked the idea of taking a look at history throughout the Bible. And this is going to be a series where we're going to go back and we're going to look at different individuals. We're going to do basically a character study a week and see what was basically wrong with them. And then we're going to see what it is that God did with them anyways. And I think that's important because right now, I don't know if you've noticed, but there is sometimes a discourse, sometimes there's a conversation, sometimes there's just outrage where, where there is an attempt to remove parts of history that have happened in our country. There is this attempt where if you're on social media, if somebody has had a poor or wicked or sinful opinion in the past, that all of a sudden what will start trending will be that this person has said this thing and we should no longer treat them as valuable, human, worthy of redemption, anything like that. We're done with them. We're done with them. What do we say? We're going to cancel them. Hence. Hashtag canceled. Because, because we have this thing in our country right now, this... I'm, I might ruffle feathers. I don't even care. Here we go. Cancel me. Come. No, there's this cancel culture mentality where if somebody disagrees, if somebody has done something that is offensive to me, I am done with them. We must all be done with them. And the idea of, of canceling people, the idea of canceling someone for, for past sin is so contrary to the gospel, is so contrary to the story of what God has been doing for people for centuries, for millennia. It doesn't jive with what we teach or ought to teach as the church. And don't get me wrong, we as the church are just as guilty of this. 
You have sinned in this way. You are done. Go away. I hope that's not, that's not us as CRC. I hope that is less and less the case. But, but it is absolutely true that we have this tendency when somebody does something that is offensive to us or hurts us, that either we, we completely break ties with them or not only break ties, but we go on the offensive to make sure that other people will also continue to break ties with them as well. All right, 10-minute diatribe on my assessment of society. Done. Because here's why it's important. I want to challenge us to look at some people in the Bible who were awful. And by awful, I mean just like you and me. Sinners who did dumb things, bad things, sinful things, things that are offensive to God. And, and I want us to look at these people and I want us to say, what would, that, what would the response to this person have been today? And it would probably be for every single one of these, we have to cancel that person. We can't, we can't learn anything from that person anymore because they have done this thing, therefore they are no longer valuable. They are no longer worthy of our learning anything from. But instead, I hope we can kind of turn the tables and see what God tends to do with these people as we study. So week number one, we're starting from the very beginning. If you are in Genesis chapter three, we're going to talk about Adam this morning. If you want to talk about somebody that, that messed something up real big, I think starting at the very beginning with, you know, sin entering the world is a great place for us to start. So let's start here. Adam, Genesis chapter three, I'm going to read verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So I'm going to stop right there. And you may be saying, but hey, that verse talks a whole lot more about Eve than Adam. Where do you, why are you saying that, that Adam is, is the problem here? Well, here's the thing. Adam, I want to, and I want to kind of build this case now. I think here in this instance, because when God created Adam and Eve, he said, you guys are equally valuable, equally important. You have different roles. And Adam, your role is to lead your family. And therefore, he is also responsible to God on behalf of those that he is responsible for in his family. Just like a few weeks ago, we talked about elders and deacons, and we talked about how elders are required to give an account to God on behalf of the people that they're shepherding in their church. In a similar way, Adam was, was the first husband, first father, and he was an ineffective leader of his wife in Genesis chapter 3. I'm not saying that Eve did not have her own responsibility in sinning and eating the fruit that she was not supposed to eat in Genesis chapter 3. However, it makes the point. Why would, it, why would it emphasize in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, at the very end, she took its fruit and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. This whole interaction tends to circle around. You see her interactions back and forth with the serpent and the way that he tends, that he, he kind of woos her over to following into the sin. But we forget that Adam was right there. That Adam, Adam was the one who was responsible for, he should have stepped up and said, no, this is not what we do. This is not what we're supposed to do. But instead, he, he let her 
fall right into sin and then followed her right into it because Adam, like many of us who lead at times, can fall into this fear of leading assertively or fear of hurting the feelings or stopping or making somebody who, who I'm responsible for feel bad or, 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 or maybe I want to follow them into this sin that they're, they're following into. But Adam, in this moment, was an ineffective leader. And as a result, sin entered into the world. And we're going to talk about, about that in just a second. Genesis chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. If we're going to just start like harping on Adam, let's harp on Adam a little bit. So Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 23. This is talking about the story of Cain and Abel. I'll, get to the, I'll read in just a sec. Just hold off for just one second. Uh, and, and so if you're familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, both brothers bring sacrifices to God. God accepts Abel's offering and God rejects Cain's offering. Cain, super jealous, decides, I'm going to go, I'm going to kill my brother, and then after that, God curses him and sends him away with his family. And Cain's gone. And then we get this, this genealogy, all of the different sons of Cain. And when we pick up here in verse 23, this is kind of all the way down the line. This is one of Cain's sons, and this is kind of where his family line led. Genesis chapter 4, verse 23, Lamech, one of Cain's descendants, said to his wife, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I have to say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Basically, all the way down the line from Cain, you, you get to this point where you have this guy who was just so wicked, so evil, that he's bragging that he's killing people for no good reason, and that he's... he's, he's, he's excited about the idea that I'm so much worse than my dad before me that now I am I'm going to get such a bigger punishment from God look at how evil I have become and and, and the results of so so if you if you really wanted to look at you know what, what's going on with Adam was he not, is he really that good a parent maybe he's not a great parent right he got one kid that kills another and then his whole family line descends down into this wicked wicked pool of sinfulness where there are people just kind of bragging about killing other people and being so evil that God's going to punish them strictly. He's an ineffective leader. He's, 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 he's the father of a wicked family. How is this guy worth imitating? I talked about how, how Eve was the first one to take the take Five, we're going to get this, this kind of clarification. If you want to turn over to Romans chapter 5 with me, this kind of speaks to the point that I was making earlier about how it's still his responsibility. Romans chapter 5. five. Just as sin came into the world through one man, to all men, because all sinned. For indeed was in the world before the law, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Paul in Romans is building this point, building this case. Look, look. 
said, we're going to talk about a bunch of awful people that are just like us. This verse is, in, is, 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 is kind of cementing this idea that we're all in this, and it all started with Adam. It all started with that sin, that, that ineffective leadership. That ineffective, wicked family line that came down from Adam. Everything that's broken that we see, we could blame, we could point back to him. We could say it all started with Adam. It's his fault. But that's not the end of the story. Situation. Because, because we could say, don't be like Adam. Don't, don't lead your family. family. I don't want to encourage you to be like Adam in that way. I don't want you to raise children that kill their siblings and then, and then lead to family lines that brag about murder and the way that they've offended God. I don't, I don't want that. But just because Adam was the beginning of all of that and it led to so many other things down the line does not mean that we then take Genesis 1 through 3 and tear them out of our Bibles and say, we don't need the beginning now. We don't need to pay attention to him because he's so bad. No, instead we look at it and we say, but, but what, what happened with him? Was there hope for Adam? I mean, if you were going to say the same, that's the person you're going to make the example of. But if you're still in Genesis chapter 3, we've read this verse so many times, but I love it so much. In Genesis chapter 3, after God's come down, and Adam and Eve have hidden themselves, and he, he calls them out. He says, no, come out here. And he sees that they've, they've sinned, and they feel the shame, and they've covered themselves up. They have something to hide now. He looks at them, and in, and in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman speaking to speaking. Thank you. Proto-Evangelion. Got to get our theology words in for the day. The first telling of the gospel. That's what that word means. The first telling of the gospel where he says, it's all bad. You broke it. People are going to die. Things are going to get cursed. It's going to be bad. But I'm going to fix it. Because of your offspring, one of your offspring is going to overcome the evil that the serpent has led you into. You'll bruise his heel. He will bruise your head. Ed, 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 Ed. Wasn't, wasn't. I'm going to redeem you immediately after this. The moment he sinned, it wasn't, I'm going to have to go take some time to cool down. No, God came down and said, I'm going to fix this. And I'm, gonna, and I'm going to be the one 
to take that on. I'm going to be the one to face that for you. I will let my son be sacrificed and killed so that we can fix this relationship that sin has broken. Genesis chapter 4. We we read 23 and 24. I'm going to read 25 and 26. Because we talked about that wicked, sinful line that came from, from Cain. But God continued to redeem Genesis 4.25 And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. God promised redemption for Adam because of his sin. God redeemed the brokenness of his wicked family line and gave him another family line that that were people that began to call upon the name of the Lord. And and even if you look into the next chapter in chapter 5 of Genesis, you begin to see all of these different names of sons and daughters that came after, some of which were so close to God that we don't even know they died. It just said he was close to God and then he went and was with God. Like, you have people that are so close to to our Creator that came from the line of Adam. God God redeemed His family line. He demonstrated that that God was going to continue to work through Him even beyond that point where it seemed like all was lost. All hope was lost. Everything was broken. We should just be done with Adam. But instead, God said, no, I'm going to do something with you because I'm going to... I mean, he, He said throughout the Old Testament many times. I ought to just kill them all and start over. We'll probably read a couple of people, stories of people who made God say, I ought to just kill them all and start over. But every single time, God remembers His promise that He has already made. He looks back into history and says, no, I've already said this thing and I will do this thing that I have said. Because here's the cool thing. I, don't, I didn't put the rest of Romans chapter 5 in the slides up here. We read that first part of Romans chapter 5, 12 through 14, where he talks about death entering the world through Adam, sin affecting all of us because of Adam, and that kind of permeating everything that we are, that brokenness permeating everything that we know because of the sin of that one man. But this is the whole point. And this is exactly the point of why I want to talk about it this way. Talk about this subject this way. Because I want to look at people who were bad, bad. They're very bad, bad. They're bad. They're bad. We shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't model our lives after very bad people. We're going to pick some more people, and they're going to be very bad too. But at the end of that line, I'm going to keep reading in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to pick up in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many have died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment follows one trespass brought on condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much 
more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the joy that we have. And that's why we, should, we shouldn't look at this world around us. That's why we shouldn't look at individuals or people and say they are beyond hope. They are, they are sinning in this way. They are awful in this way. And we're done with them. Because God has not been done with us. Likewise, we shouldn't be surprised when we present the truth of the gospel and it is offensive to those who do not follow Jesus. And the world seeks to reject us as well. Like I said at the beginning, I may get canceled, you may get canceled, we all may get canceled. But the story that we're telling is one that looks at people who should be canceled, who should be sent off for eternal punishment apart from God, except that, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. That's the gospel. And that's what we believe in. And that's, why, and that's why the truth of the gospel should affect, like we said last week, the way that we speak. We don't speak in such a way that says we seek to terminate and obliterate and abolish all relationships with those who aren't just like us and just want to become like Christ. We want to love and serve those people in a way that leads them to understanding the error of their ways and brings them into this life that is pursuing and following Jesus. Because we see that there is hope beyond the situation that they are trapped in because it's the same situation that we were trapped in but for the grace of God. And so as we take these next few weeks and we're going to look at a different person each week. This week we talked about a guy who was an ineffective leader and maybe not a consistent parent right at the beginning and we saw how God could fix and redeem all of those things apart from him. We're going to keep going and we're going to look at different people who are, who are sinful in different ways and it's going to feel a little bit repetitive because I'm going to talk about, hey, here's this person, they're a sinner. We probably shouldn't want to model our lives after them except that, hey, look at what God did with them. So maybe God can do something amazing with you. If you associate yourself, you're like, that's a sin that I struggle with or that's an area that I feel that I'm also weak in. Or that, that, that is in my past as well. And I don't want to continue to be that way. Well, the beauty of the gospel is that's not the end of the story for them and it's not the end of the story for us. So instead, let us revel as the people of God in the grace that He has showered upon us and the redemption that comes because of the work of His Son, Jesus.